Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What is up, everybody? It is another episode of the 49ers Welcome No Huddle podcast. I am Zane Nackfee with Levin Black. Stats could not be with us today. He is a proud father for another time to a little bouncing baby. Uh, congratulations to the whole Stats family. We've got a little bit, another little baby Stats um, coming coming from my job, Levin. Pretty much uh, gonna 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 be on here and and gonna be uh, talking Niners football, right? <laughs> yeah, it might be a few years before you can talk, but uh, maybe it'll be better than his old man. <laughs> and certainly better than myself. Um, but yeah, so a I guess lot we don't of, know it's a he, do we? Uh, I'm not sure. I have to I have to go back yeah, and look I don't, at our I don't text like, Yeah, so maybe <laughs> we shouldn't say that. Could be a she that's better than the old man. That's true. That's true. Um, so a lot, a lot happening this week. Um, aside from all the the coronavirus stuff, we know that this is all going on. Hope everybody's safe um, and uh, abiding by all the the recommendations CDC has and all that stuff. We're here to kind of lighten up the the mood and give you guys some good news and talk Niners football. So let's get to it. Um, the big news of the league year starting uh, was a legal tampering period. And within that, obviously we know that teams can talk to their own uh, free agents that are going to be unrestricted and start uh, talking about terms of contracts and things like that. And uh, the franchise tag deadline also um, is part of that whole spiel as well. Now, as far as the 49ers go, the big name being kicked around was Eric Armstead. And nobody was really sure if they were going to tag him, sign him, trade him. Nobody really knew what the situation was going to be with him. And we found out, didn't we, Levin? Yeah, basically about 24 hours prior to, I would say, this truly starting, maybe a little less than that, it came out that the the team was still talking to him. And it became pretty apparent, at least, that they were likely going to do a contract. We just didn't know how close, how fast it would be into this. and then. At the start of this period, no tampering period, it was, I mean, right, almost right away tweeted out, they're really close, it's going to be happening any minute now, and it, I don't remember the exact amount of minutes into this tampering period it was, but it was, what, 10, 15 minutes when it was announced he had signed with contract mm-hmm. details coming? It was pretty quick. It was, and so it kind of opens this larger sort of question that we get to in a second, but speaking specifically for Eric Armstead, uh, the financial figures of the deal were released, and this is another one of those that's basically backloaded. Uh, it's a Parag Marate special. Uh, there's a lot of guaranteed money there, and it was actually a six-year deal, not a five-year deal, like people were originally reporting. In rap report confirmed that basically the six years is kind of like a throwaway year, but what it does for them, the 49ers, is it gives them cap relief immediately. The cap hit on the 2020 uh, team is only going to be 2.7 mil, and that's huge given the fact that you got other si- other guys you want to sign, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Jimmy Ward, possibly uh, another replacement for either of those guys com- coming in free agency or just being able to roll over cap money to next year as we know the, the CBA um, being agreed to and the cap expanding and things like that. So I think that in terms of production-wise, like Eric Armstead, like he had the best year of his career, obviously. like He, he had a career year, and I'm always weary of guys that perform really well in a contract year and right. it's because it's it is a contract year right so i don't know Levin, do you feel like he's gonna i don't know if he's gonna equal what he did last year but do you feel like he's gonna kind of approach the same numbers uh no i don't think he he can because of the second topic that we'll get into later but you're not gonna approach the same numbers when you lose a guy like the buckner next to you who is taking double teams from you mm-hmm it's just not possible. It doesn't mean he'll be bad. He'll still be a quality player, but he's basically going to be getting a lot more attention now, especially on the inside. He's going to be the focal point for the first time in his career on the inside. And that will be uh, a big thing on pass rushing downs. Yeah. And I know that you saw the numbers and you had a, you had an interesting reaction on Twitter to say the least. So, um, can you can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Right before I get into this, should make one small correction. You said two point seven million. I believe that's his technical salary. His actual mm-hmm. cap hit is six million total. There we go. Um, yeah, correct. So uh, six million will be his cap hit, which is still a great number. 
his individual contract, I don't have a problem with. The specifics of his contract, especially with, uh, if you want to call it team-friendly, basically the team can get out of it in three years with very little put into it because it's so backloaded um, from what's coming out as of this recording. Uh, sometimes stuff ends up changing here and there. Or there's a parameter that's missing. It kind of changes everything, but it certainly seems very team-friendly. I'm not necessarily against bringing Armstead back, especially with a deal like this. It's bringing him back at the expense of who we had to ship out. That's my problem. That's my reaction on Twitter. When when the actual deal came out with Armstead, I actually tweeted saying that it's basically a big bet on the team or by the team on the cap rising mm-hmm. significantly. If it rises significantly, they're in great position. If it doesn't rise significantly, I said at the time, they're going to have some cap issues. Now, with the way it's structured, if the cap doesn't rise significantly, there's no way Armstead plays on the back half of this deal because he's going to start counting as $25 million, uh, give or take a little bit here and there. That can't happen for a defensive lineman. But as it works out, it's a good bet. His deal specifically, I don't have a problem with. It's everything else where I went off. and. Maybe we should save that until we actually get into Buckler or Buckner because that's going to take us down a road that we're not going to come back from, I think. So we should talk about Armstead and his deal. What do you think about it? Are you okay with it? Yeah, I think that the deal itself, we know that Parag doesn't hand out bad deals, right? Uh, he's the, the one deal that you can look at that was not really a great deal was the Malcolm Smith thing. And that, I think that even that, that deal, they're easily able to get out from under and, and the dead money is basically gone by this point. And we're basically two years post Malcolm Smith. So I think that because of that, uh, the Niners don't typically hand out big deals and or really large contracts to uh, guys that aren't non uh, guys are non QBs. And I think that when you look at where the market was set by Trey Flowers last year, the Armstead deal is actually a bit of a bargain just because I feel like Armstead this past year was better than what Trey Flowers was last year when he got, when he got his big deal to, to, to leave. So, um, I think that in that sense, it was a good deal. It's good value. And you keep the band together for the most part. Uh, you keep them together for another crack at it. And, and that's really what you want to do with it. You want to be able to, the, the championship window is open now, right? We know that. Uh, obviously being t- being to the Super Bowl this past year. So now it's about keeping the team together, keeping the core intact and doing as much as you can to bring back the same 22 starters you have year year after year. That's how the competitive teams remain competitive. They don't they don't uh get competitive by handing out big contracts to everybody nor can you because of the salary cap. So I think that they had an idea, a number in mind for Eric Armstead. The deal that they had for him was kind of in the works. Again, as you said, like we started hearing whispers, whispers of this a little while ago, and it kind of came into fruition. Josina Anderson, I think, was the first one to report that they were kind of making major headway. Um, I think that was like a week and a half ago, I believe. And um, based off of that, all of that coming together, like I, I, I think that Eric Armstead has a tremendous future, really young player. When they drafted him, he was only, I believe he was only 20 years old when he got drafted. So he's, he had a really high upside. And up until this point, he had the rookie contract plus one, basically, that he's been playing on. Right. And I think that in that sense, he's had that prove it year and he's been able to prove he can stay healthy. But I think that um, in terms of what he brings to the table, he's a guy that can put, rush the passer and defend the run. And he's a guy that you can put right into the middle. Him and Buckner essentially played the same position, right? Like, but they just put them beside each other. And I think that he's one of those guys that now you'll you'll see what he has. You'll see what he has because he's going to be the focal point. Uh, there was a lot of videos put up on Twitter pointing out that uh, DeForest Buckner was the beneficiary of double teams on Eric Armstead, right? So, and there was times where Eric Armstead would just take over, you know, like a like a series or two in a game, uh, either by run defense. Uh, he punched the ball out at the end of that Pittsburgh game when the Niners made that comeback. He's the one that that created that fumble. So I think that he's kind of scratching the surface on what he can really be. And they finally put him back inside where he should be. Like they were trying him as, as an edge rusher at the beginning. And even this year, they were trying him on the outside. And he's just not that effective. He's much more effective inside. And we're going to see a lot of that. It's interesting to me. Uh, who's going to replace Buckner there? Because Armstead and him don't really play the same position. They both play defensive tackle in a sense. But Armstead it, it goes back and forth. He plays DE on rundowns, mm-hmm. defensive mm-hmm. tackle on pass rushdowns. And he lines up in a different technique than what Buckner does. It, it seems like DJ Jones is likely going to be the replacement for Buckner if somebody's not brought in. And 
as good as he might be, that certainly is going to be a downgrade from Buckner. And that really starts getting into my issues with how the day went. Because, look, it it was a weird day. I mean, it's a weird time, really, right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything almost, life itself almost seems like it's in a Twilight show or some kind of weird zombie thing with everything going on with coronavirus. And then you have a day like this where coming into the no tampering. I mean, look at, as a Niners fan, we were looking at, oh, they want to bring everybody back. They don't have much cap space. They don't have much draft capital. Probably going to be a boring off season. That's what everybody's been saying. Mm-hmm. And then the moment the league year really starts, it's Niners, 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 Niners. I mean, there was cryptic tweets put out right away. Mm-hmm. They were getting Niner fans sniffing around. You know, there was uh, the first big trade, which is DeAndre Hopkins, which Ugh. that one trumps any bad uh, part of anything that happened today. I mean, that's just terrible, but <laughs> we're not a Texans uh, fans. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but right after that, there was, there was tweets out there saying that's not going to be the last blockbuster of the day. I'm hearing the Niners are closing in on a blockbuster trade. And then there was like an hour of silence. Mm-hmm. That hour was, I mean, I don't know if everybody else was following up, but it was like refresh, refresh. <laughs> Come on. Why do you tweet something cryptic like that and then not give details for an hour? Yeah. Oh, that hour was terrible. <laughs> and then, you know, you had the Armstead extension in there that kind of quelled a little bit of it, but it, it was a weird, weird day. And that, again, I mean, maybe it's time to get into the Buckner part of this, but then the Buckner trade happened. And I remember we, we were texting us and Rob and, mm-hmm. We were wondering what it was going to be. Oh, are we getting Odell Beckham? Oh, are we getting Stefan Diggs? You know, we were all speculating, and then we started hearing it, and it involves a defensive lineman who is going to get paid right away, I think is the way it was phrased. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, oh, no. Better not be Buckner. <laughs> we're like, please be Ford. <laughs> yeah, and then I just remember refreshing, like, nah, come on, they're going to update this to be somebody else. They're going to update this. It's going to be Chris Jones. Come on, mm-hmm. they're going to update. They're going to, oh, crap, it is Buckner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was just, again, as, as you mentioned, I'm going to echo the same sentiments. Like, it's been, it's a really weird time uh, around the country, around the world. Like, it's just very odd, uh, the circumstances that we've, we've come across. And I think that the NFL, as we step back for a second from the Buckner thing, the NFL, they did not postpone the start of the league year because to them, it's like, man, everybody's going to be sitting at home, refreshing Twitter, refreshing social media, watching NFL network, all this stuff. NFL saw a huge opportunity to get viewership and get people excited again. And they took it. And, you know, they're the only league right now that doesn't have any sort of active games going on. Right. So I think that they took advantage of it and, and they, they ran with it. So uh, credit to them. I, well, I, I don't think they could, they were in an impo- impossible situation. If they pause it, because of the coronavirus going on, well, CDC's already said it's going to be eight weeks. That, yeah. That's the time period they put. So you're going to pause it for eight weeks. A draft. Even yeah. if everything's solved in eight weeks, if you don't start your league year until May, you got May, June, July. At the end of July, training camps happen. That's not enough time to do free agency. Yeah. Schedule a draft. The fans can get to with you know give them and give them enough warning and all that, and, and everything else that goes along with off-season workouts, all that, you, you would have destroyed your entire off-season. Get free agency going, still do your draft, and just do what you can. If workouts don't happen, which they did delay it uh, right before we actually went on air, that was that was breaking, that they've delayed off-season workouts, and it's basically to be determined. They don't know mm-hmm. when that's going to happen, and they made some changes on free agents can't visit. They got to do uh, physicals wherever they're at and send that info to the team. There's no actually in-person visits for free agency, which changes everything, but they had to get their league year running. They, they couldn't delay it because then it would have messed with their season. Whereas if they start now, they still have a normal regular season. Yeah. I think you make a really good point. Like it's easy to say the NFL is just going after a money grab because, because, Oh, well they don't give a crap about the play. No, it's not about that. It's literally about scheduling. And then once you get into that, it's like, okay, well they have stadium deals for a certain amount of time. And, uh, they have to make sure that those are honored and TV contracts and all that stuff that basically for the NFL, because it is the, the largest of the four sports, it's going to have a larger impact. So I think it's, it's, it's really interesting the way that things went down today. Uh, as, as you mentioned, we wake up, we hear the Eric Armstead news. It's like, okay, cool. They're bringing the band back. Awesome. Like they're, they're working on getting these guys back, you know, Buckner, they work on his extension next. They'll free up some cap room for next year. And then he's going to be next. 
And then, as you said, the, the rumors started, and I'm like, oh, like, you know, what's going to happen? Who's going? Who's going? Where are the Niners trading for Odell? Are they trading for Stefan Diggs? Are they, you know, like what's what's going on? Tom Brady, as we know, is not coming to the the Bay Area, nor was he ever coming to the Bay Area. That was ridiculous. And then Buckner's name started get, started getting thrown around by Matt Mayoko, I believe, who's the first one to say it. And then Benjamin Albright, who's uh, a, a beat writer for the Broncos, said it. And more people started saying it. And then people started saying it and deleting it. And I'm like, what what's going on? And I'm like you, like I was refreshing for like an hour and I was not seeing anything. And finally, we got the news that DeForest Buckner had been traded to the Indianapolis Colts for their first round pick in this year's draft, which is number 13 overall. They immediately signed him to a $21 million a year deal. He, he is the second highest paid defensive lineman ever, uh, second to Aaron Donald. And uh, he immediately becomes a very rich man. So there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, I don't know if you want to start with compensation. I don't know if you want to start with losing Buckner. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, compensation is easy. I think he got fair market value, especially with what is likely to happen to the cap. Now, this coronavirus could change a lot of things. I mean, if this goes on for a longer period of time, it affects this next season, you could see coronavirus affecting the salary cap and stopping it from escalating like teams are expecting. But let's assume it escalates like this new CBA should make it escalate. That means this Buckner deal, which some may view as being too rich for a guy that's not necessarily a household name yet, to me, it... it it's a lot like the Jimmy Garoppolo deal. It mm-hmm. looked really expensive in, when it was given, but the salary cap kept rising, the price of quarterbacks kept rising, and now here we are where Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is going to be the ninth highest paid or 10th highest paid quarterback next season. It ended up being a great deal. I think Buckner's will end up being that way. I think defensive linemen are going to see their salaries continue to jump. I mean, they've really jumped a lot in the last 10 years, but they're going to continue, and I think teams have realized the value of that interior pass rush specifically because that really affects a quarterback's ability to step up in the pocket and that arguably affects a quarterback's ability to pass more than an edge pass rusher. Now, it's more rare. You can get speed off the edge. You, it's very rare to get a guy who can get a pass rush from the interior, and Buckner's one of those rare guys. So I think his contract and compensation got no problem with it. It's right where it should be. Yeah, if you look at it, they drafted number six overall um, in 2016, played out his, his rookie contract. Um, they flip him for the number 13 overall pick uh, in this year's draft, which gives them two first-round picks with number 31, the, the pick that ca- they currently own. And to me, I, I, I think that – I don't know if you would have been able to get more out of them, like a, late, like a later round pick, but I think that getting a first-round pick – like the, Buckner's value I don't think was ever higher because – he was coming off that rookie contract. Um, they had the ability to sign them to whatever whatever contract they wanted to, uh, which would fit their cap and their long term future. But I think that you know this year he had you know he had uh, twenty and a half sacks in four years, right? <laughs> With the 49ers. like he was he was uh, he was producing at a very high level. Um, he was an All Pro Pro Bowl player, and those guys are really hard to replace. And that aspect and that standpoint from that standpoint. I don't, I don't like losing a guy like that because the more of those guys that you have, the be- obviously the better your team is. The more stars you have, the better your team is. The 49ers lost the Super Bowl because the stars from Kansas City performed and the 49ers stars did not. So when you have enough of those guys, your team immediately will become better. I, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing I remember will remember about Buckner is that, number one, what a great character guy, what a great leader. Um, never was, he was, durability was never a concern with him, always producing. And I think that with, with him, it was one of those things where he carried a really bad team. He did for, for three years, basically, he carried a really, really bad team, a really bad defense. And I think that that's what I'll remember most about him is that in a really down time for the 49ers, he was one of the lone bright spots to watch. And he was one of the lone guys that you would like, hey, hey, that guy is one guy that I really, really like that's on the 49ers that's going to be here for a long time. And ultimately, it was only four years. And John Lynch... Man, I, I think that he's there's there's two ways to look at it. First of all, like you're the long term future of the team. Um, they're looking at it like, okay, well, you were able to get number thirteen. You're probably going to trade down now from thirty one without any regrets because at that's at before today, 
you just had that one first round pick and you're like, well, what if somebody slips and you still need players? Now you have the ability to, to jump up and get a receiver or a tackle or something that you need in the first round uh, at 13 and, and, and still get those extra picks by trading back. So I think that they thought that uh, first and foremost is that you can basically get three players for letting Buckner walk. Um, but the second thing is, is that the production that he is leaving behind, um, like you said, the double teams that Armstead and the rest of the defensive linemen took, took advantage of, that that is going to be sorely missed. You, just, you don't just replace an all-pro player just like that. You can't. And I think that they're going to have a tough time trying to replace him. Uh, ultimately, I, I'm on the fence with the deal because I like the first-round pick that they got because they can get an immediate impact player, and we don't know what, what they're going to flip that for if they flip it. Um, I, I don't think that the Niners are done. I think that there's more left. Um, you're just seeing the scratching the surface. Plus, the cap space that you get by getting rid of Buckner, you're able to at least sign one of or both of Emmanuel Sanders and Jimmy Ward if you want to bring them back. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I made a tweet when the trade was announced. It's gotten some flack, and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it when we get into this podcast. So I guess now is the time. I'm gonna launch into it because. I'm going to try not to go on to too many tangents because there's so many different avenues and think pointers that I want to make on this. But I'm going to try to make a very linear argument for why exactly the Niners made this trade and why I don't really like it. So first, most people are talking about there's two possibilities that the Niners could have done going into this. They could have either signed Armstead to the deal he got and gotten this number 13 pick. That's ultimately what they did. The other comparison is signing Buckner to the deal that he got and trade Armstead after franchising him for a second thir- second round pick, I think seems very likely, especially considering the contract he got. It seemed very likely they could have gotten a second round pick. So it's Buckner's contract and a second round pick or Armstead's contract and the number 13 pick. That's actually somewhat equal. I still go Buckner because it's harder to replace top end talent. And I think Buckner is very clearly better than Armstead. I think there's a decent gap there. Armstead's a guy, he's a quality starter who might make a pro bowl or two in his career. Buckner is an all pro level player that if he starts getting a few more sacks could be on a hall of fame trajectory. There's a pretty wide gap there in my opinion, but there's a third option that I haven't seen anybody bring up. And I don't know why, because it seems like by far the best option. And that is, you could have signed Armstead to the deal he got. He's only counting for $6 million against the cap. You could have kept Buckner on his fifth-year option, let him play it out, and then franchised him after that and traded him and gotten him the contract he wanted and gotten the draft pick back because that's been done before and teams have gotten the, same, the, the value of Buckner, assuming he had a season on par with what he's done, would have been exactly the same. Because it would have been the same situation for the team acquiring him. Getting a young, all-pro level player and immediately giving him a long extension. Whether it was a franchise tag or a fifth-year option doesn't change a thing. So his value would have been the same. The difference is you get one more year of Buckner when you have your championship window, when you're clearly the number one team in the league. So what the team chose was to trade Buckner, now get that draft pick. Why would they do that? I don't like it, but there's only one logical reason they did that. And it has everything to do with Kyle Shanahan and what's in this draft. Kyle Shanahan, I think, has finally hit the tipping point. And I think the Super Bowl made it clear in his mind. And he has final say on all this. No idea if John Lynch was all for this or, or who orchestrated this. But it has Kyle Shanahan's fingerprints on it. And what I'm getting at, I think Kyle Shanahan thinks they lost the Super Bowl because he's been having to deal with spare parts in his wide receiver group. He's gotten mm-hmm. Debo that's hit, but generally that's been the afterthought. Everything else has been get this defense to be dominant. Spend all the money on the defensive line. He wanted to spend some major assets in the wide receiver group. You have a historically deep wide receiver draft, and the Niners were able to get a number 13 pick that will allow Shanahan to pick his guy. Now, the reason I don't like that, that sounds great, right? Sounds great. Oh, Shanahan finally gets the offense he wants. He can pair somebody like Ruggs with uh, Debo and have a truly dominant offense. The reason I don't like that is it's the damn NFL draft, and we all know how that goes. It doesn't matter how can't miss a guy is. They miss, and they miss at a pretty high frequency, 
especially when you start getting down to number 13. If you're in the top five, that's somewhat of a different story. They're pretty, they're a lot safer in that top five. This is number 13. This is far from a guarantee. And there's one other aspect of this that really worries me. Not like this is the first time Shanahan's going to get to pick his guy. He did it mm-hmm. with Dante Pettis. That failed miserably. Mm-hmm. His tra- he's drafted a lot of wide receivers in his time here, and really only one of them's truly panned out. Now, some of them are injuries. Can't really fault a guy for that. But in reality, only one of his wide receivers, and he's spent a lot of capital at wide receiver. The Niners, assuming they go number 13 at wide receiver, are going to go and back-to-back-to-back drafts. Second-round pick, wide receiver. Second-round pick, wide receiver. First-round pick, wide receiver. That's a lot of draft capital going to wide receiver. But I truly think the reason they made this deal now, rather than waiting a year, and because to, to me, I think the team, I don't think there's any argument, in my opinion, that the team would be better this coming season if they kept Buckner and traded him the following year. The difference is Shanahan's sick of trying to make a dominant offense with players who aren't dominant. He wants his Julio. He wants a dominant player to put in a dominant offense that he knows he can make historic like the Atlanta Falcons offense he had. And that's why he decided to do this now rather than wait. And I don't agree with that because the team, unless they absolutely hit on that wide receiver and how many rookie wide receivers have truly blossomed and been phenomenal, pretty rare. So unless they absolutely hit on that number 13 pick, the team is worse next year. And there's no real argument. And it's not like they couldn't have afforded it. Buckner on his fifth year option was only 12.38 million. Right now, it's estimated by Jason Hurley, who I trust pretty well, that the Niners have 14.7 million in cap space with Armstead counted. So that means they would add about 2.4 million cap space, but they haven't made any of their logical moves that we've talked about in the past. They haven't released Marquez Goodwin or trade him. I have no delusions that they can trade him, but they haven't released him. They haven't cleared cap space by releasing Coleman or any of the other logical ones where they could end up getting about 12 to 15 million in cap space, be in the same boat they're in right now for cap space and be able to make the few moves that they would need at that point. That's why I think the team is worse next year. Now, they might be better in the future if they hit on that draft pick, but they would have gotten a high draft pick anyways for Buckner next offseason because they could have franchised him and done what so many teams have done. And I don't get why they think this is better. I understand what Kyle Shanahan's likely forcing he, he wants his star receiver and his star wide receiver group. I just don't agree. And that's what angered me so bad that I think it's Shanahan saying, I don't care. I'm getting rid of a dominant defensive lineman. We'll be fine on the defensive line. I want my offense. He, he's gotten his ego involved, I think, in this transaction. So I'll play, I'll play both sides here, actually. I, see, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I can definitely, um, there, there are a lot of things I agree with there. So um, the first thing regarding uh, Kyle Shanahan and the, the wide receiving uh, core, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Like he thinks that this group is not good enough, and that's why he keeps drafting wide receivers. Like he, over the years that he's been here, let's see who the some of the draft wide receivers he's drafted: uh, Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor, uh, Richie James, um, obviously Debo, and am I Jalen Hurd. somebody? Uh, Jalen Hurd. Yeah. So um, Trent Taylor had a good rookie year. He uh, it was really, really good with Jimmy. He's going to come back this year. He had several foot surgeries, so we don't know what we have in him yet. Uh, Jalen Hurd has a back injury. We may never know what we have in him because he's he keeps having setbacks with that. Debo's a stud. We know that. Pettis is bordering on bust territory because he can't even get on the field. And Richie James was a seventh rounder that basically is a special teamer. So I can see where, the, where he feels like he needs to have a, a really good uh, stud wide receiver. However, um, I think that when it comes down to them drafting receivers or drafting this position um, in this particular draft, we have to also have to remember that the 49ers are among the most complete teams in the league, or at least they were when Buckner was, was on the team, right? Like they have one of the most complete rosters is still one of the best rosters in the league. Uh, it's a deep roster. Uh, they just brought back Sean Coleman. Uh, not having, they brought back Sean Coleman. Um, as of recording the show as well, who's a really, really versatile piece on the offensive line, assuming that Brunskill and, and person duke it out for the, 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 the right guard spot. So they're one or two players away, right? We know that. And, and one or two plays away from hoisting a championship. And uh, obviously one or two plays away from 
having it go completely south as well, given injuries. And I think that he realizes that. And I think that this is, again, Kyle being Kyle. We know that he's not known for being a super humble guy. He's, he's uh, the brash, mad scientist um, who has a little bit of attitude and ego, right? Like any great offensive mind does. So I think that because of that, like you said, this is, this is a little bit of his ego kind of coming in and, and saying that, hey, this is what I need. So you guys need to get, get it for me so I can run my offense. Now, the flip side to that is that, okay, well, like you said, the draft is a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen. And John Lynch is taking a huge gamble here by releasing or not releasing, by getting rid of a player who has produced at the high level the entire time he's been here. You know what you're getting into Forrest Buckner. You know what you have in him. If when you draft a receiver, specifically with that position group, it takes time for those guys to develop. Like even Debo didn't come on until the second half of the year. He was having problems with drops and things like that. It felt like Shanahan didn't really know how to use him. And then finally you saw those Debo end arounds and, and things like that, that he was getting, and he was really productive. And I think that once he found a place for him, he was productive, but do you have the time now to deal with the wide receivers growing pains? Again, like you said, championship windows open. Do you have time for this guy to, to, to wait for him to develop like Dante Pettis? We don't have time for this guy to develop. It's his, it's his going to his third year, right? Like I think they know what they have in him at this point. And he's, he, you know, he's, he's on the bubble. So do we want to do that again with another receiver? I, I don't know, but there's a big difference. I think in my mind between like Jerry Judy or, you know, CD or these guys like that are, that are in the top of the first round and Dante Pettis, there's a big difference in talent level to me. And I think that because of that, they're willing to take a gamble. And I think the other thing is um, that nobody's really talked about um, Levin is that I bet you they have their eye on one of these guys. I bet you they know they, they've narrowed it down to two or three guys. They're like, okay, we know that these guys will be available at that pick. So we're going to make that trade. Like, I don't think you just get rid of a DeForest Buckner with just like a, 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 a hunch that maybe, maybe one of these guys will fall. They probably know that one of these guys will fall to them. And that's why they made the trade. Um, I, I really don't think the Niners are that reckless, specifically with Prague kind of running the show. I don't think that, that they're that reckless. They, they know what they're getting. And I think that they have a good idea of, of what's going to be there. And I think that this is not it. I think that what you're going to see, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is the move that precedes the next move. So you may see them flip 31 for a player. They may see, you may see them flip 31 for more picks, but they're not done yet. So that's the first part of it. That's the long winded answer to the first part. So um, if you want to interject, go ahead. Cause this is a long, this is a long well, answer. I, I do think they, they know they're going to get a receiver. They like, I don't think they're going into and going, Ooh, cross their fingers. The guy falls. Mm-hmm. I think this draft is deep enough that there's two or three guys there and they're confident. One of them will be there. It's still a risk. At number 13, because you don't know what's coming ahead of you. But even if you know you're going to get a guy you really like, it doesn't matter how good of an evaluator you are. Mm-hmm. You're wrong almost as much as you're right. The difference between the great drafters and the bad drafters, the great drafter hits slightly more than he misses. Mm-hmm. The bad drafter hit hits less than he misses. I mean, it's really not that big of a margin. Now, yes, you have some outliers that are truly horrendous at drafting but for the most part you got guys that are hovering around that 50 percent hit bust mark with Mm -hmm. their high-end picks so it doesn't matter how good you are you still got a pretty good chance of striking out or getting a guy that is not the difference maker buckner is and you know buckner's a difference maker that's the risk and that's why i don't care how confident you are in the guys you're evaluating it's still a risk because nobody's perfect at evaluating yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the Buckner thing. So they went back to back uh defensive linemen with Armstead and Buckner in those drafts. And then um one year in the middle, 2017. God, who did they draft in 2017? It was oh it, um who's twenty seventeen? I don't remember. The first Solomon round. Thomas. Solomon Thomas. Thomas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they went back to back to back. Yeah, I thought Thomas was twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. That was McGlinchy. Yeah. So Solomon Thomas was was twenty seventeen. We literally forgot about him, right? So that's the other thing is that he's better <laughs> in, inside than he is outside. We'll see what we have in him this year. He's still on that rookie contract, so they'll probably keep him around for depth. But they went back to back to back with uh, drafting one position group. So I don't think that they're afraid of doing that if they think that they have their guy. But I think that they really have to ensure that they hit on this because if you make that trade and you miss with number 13, that's a huge black eye for you because you just gave up one of your franchise cornerstone pieces for what is what is a bust. And that's not, that's not an option. He, John Lynch has to hit on this. Unless they trade for like, unless he packages and like do something crazy and trade for like Odell Beckham or Stefan Dix or something like that. But I don't think they, 
And talking about him being a cornerstone, that's part of my problem with this. And this is what I'm getting flack for. And who knows how this is going to end up playing out. You know, it's more speculation on my part. I got no problem admitting that. But he was a captain. He was, from what everybody says, he was the leader of that defensive line. He led their, you know, study sessions. He was the leader of that defensive line and one of the leaders on the team. He did everything you could ask for him. He was the uh, consummate pro, and you trade him away anyways. Mm -hmm. That, to me, this locker room is so tight. It's been so close together in such a, a great group. And on top of that, you have a team that came into the offseason saying, we want to run it back. We want everybody back. We want everybody back. And then what do they do? They trade one of their best players. How is that going to play in that locker room? Mm-hmm. I do think that that might end up being, it might not be a deadly fraction or a fracture in that locker room, but I certainly think there is going to be a fracture in that locker room. A certain amount of trust is gone. Now, that always has to come at some point, but it certainly seems like the wrong time to do it in my mind because the championship window's here. And like I said, they could have held him and then traded him after getting one more run back and not gone into that next offseason saying, we want everybody back. We want everybody back. I think there's a little bit of two-face going on and that might not play out well in that locker room. Well, I mean, I think that like when players hear that stuff, they know that it's just, it's just, it's BS. Frankly, there's no possible way that you can bring back every single player from one season to the next. It just doesn't happen. And for various reasons, contracts, injuries, retirements, whatever it is, like the team that you're on for that, that specific year, that is the only year in your entire life that that team will be the exact same. There's, it's not going to be the exact, especially nowadays with free agency and trades and stuff. So I think a lot of that was, was just fluff. I don't really believe in that. I didn't believe in it when he said that I'm like, there's no way you're bringing it back. And the second thing is, is I, I can see how it can create a fracture in the locker room because it's like, well, he did everything right and he did everything that you would ask for. And all you wanted to do was get rewarded for that. And then you ship him off. So in, in that sense, the optics, if you look at it that way, the optics aren't great. However, uh, in the, in the team sense, they know that if they can get an impact player in, in the first round or wherever they, they choose to get him in the draft, uh, that can change this team offensively. It can maybe get him over that hump. And, and if they get a ring, if they get a championship or if they're close again, I think winning cures a lot of stuff too. I think that it, like, it, look, this isn't Bill O'Brien trading away DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins for like peanuts, right? Like, I mean, first of all, F the Houston Texans, man. F those guys. Seriously. They're the, they're, <laughs> they're the reason why Seattle's in the NFC West. They gave away Clowney and Dwayne Brown to Seattle for peanuts. They gave away Nook to Arizona for peanuts. All those guys are, are in the division. Well, I mean, Clowney's not in division anymore, but he was. And they could have beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. They could have knocked them out. So the Niners would not have had to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So the Houston Texans have literally been a good-for-nothing team from the 49ers' perspective. They've literally done nothing good for the 49ers. So F those guys. Forget those guys. So back, back, back to the Niners. So I think that when it comes down to it, like the Niners, they, they are taking a calculated risk. They think that, okay, well, in order to also evaluate Jimmy as a quarterback, they need to be able to give him tools. And if he doesn't have tools, you can't evaluate him. So. We'll see now if they get a guy like CeeDee Lamb or, um, or Jerry Judy or any of these guys at the top of the draft and they stay healthy, what can happen? And the, the final point I want to make about what you said uh, about giving uh, Buckner uh, the franchise tag next year and trading him is that we don't know what his production would have been next year. If his production dropped off a cliff or if he got injured or anything like that, like I, I would like to think that he would have been the same all-pro player that he was this year. But any number of things can happen, right? Where a guy just tails off for no reason. And I think that they kind of thought that they wanted to strike when the iron's hot and they were able to, to unload him when his value was the highest that it's ever been. And possibly the, the only time he's going to come available because he's young. Uh, he's coming off a rookie contract. Again, uh, like I said earlier, the Colts had a chance to restructure that contract the way that they wanted to. There's no money that they're inheriting from the 49ers. So it's just like a clean break, basically. So I think that in that sense... You know, they they took advantage of an opportunity. I don't like seeing Buckner go. I don't like seeing very talented players get traded. I think he was a great guy, a great ambassador for the team. I don't like it. But at the end of the day, I understand it. And it's not as heinous as some people may think. 
that's just I mean that's just my opinion on it. Before we move on to, I think we need to talk about how it affects the actual play on the field mm-hmm. a little bit and how it changes that defensive. Uh, it really has to change the defensive scheme to a certain degree. There's one other thing that I saw, and I've been saving this because I want your honest opinion, and I'm surprising you with this because it surprised me. And it it didn't overall change my opinion, but it did make kind of confirm a little bit more of the darker sense of it, the heinous, as you put it. I saw a tweet that the Niners have been quietly working on a defo trade since January. Mm-hmm. That, to me, goes, whoa, they hadn't even played the Super Bowl. They didn't know what was going on in the playoffs, depending on what time in January it was. And they had made this decision already. That is shocking to me. And they made the decision without knowing what they could get from Armstead in a, in a contract negotiation. That to me is shocking that they made this decision that long ago that they're going to, at the very least, shop them. And that to me is a little bit more into the line of betrayal to a sense. Not, not like I said, doesn't fully change my opinion and make it, wow, they really did them dirty or anything along those lines. So don't, don't mistake me, but that to me was shocking and made me kind of take a step back like, whoa, they made this decision a long ago. Would you say it's safe to say that they were kind of trending towards this decision, not making the decision, but like trending towards it when they saw Aaron Donald re- reset the market? Do you feel like they saw that? They're like, holy crap, like we'll never be able to afford Buckner when his contract comes up. No, I don't think so because uh, I think they were working on a deal and I think they probably got pretty close to one. And I think it rather than the average salary, it came down to guaranteed amount. Mm-hmm. I think that really was the deal breaker. Now, Buckner denied turning down a $60 million guaranteed deal. Uh, and who knows what he's truly saying there, whether it was yeah, there's sixty million in the contract, but it was for a lot less per year or something. You know, something about mm-hmm. that contract. It wasn't they gave him everything he wanted type contract. But I do think the Niners were unwilling to give him twenty one million per and sixty plus guaranteed. And I think it was that that guarantee that they fought over and made the Niners realize at some point months ago that this is done unless he completely changes his tune. He's moving. We're going to send him out and get what we can. Yeah, I, I'm. I was pretty surprised when I heard that. I mean, I, I I didn't know the time frame, but now just hearing it from you, we actually didn't talk about this off air. So <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing it. Just like this is the first time all of you are hearing it as well. And to know that this was happening in January, man, God, like I just there's just so much to think about because I think that they first of all they decided they made the conclusion that they're not going to be able to resign him. And uh, based off of the negotiations of the of the prior few months or the past year, the past twelve months, the calendar year, um, maybe they made that determination based off of how negotiations went. Maybe Defoe wanted a change of scenery. We don't know. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. Yeah. But I think that that's probably one of those things where something happened behind the scenes that was just such a large roadblock for them that they're like, look. We're not going to be able to get past this. And maybe they said to um, DeForest Buckner's team, uh, his team of people, like his agency and, and things like that, like they said to them that like, well, what we can do is have like a g- sort of gentleman's agreement where we're going to trade you to a place where you can get what you're worth. And we're going to trade you a place where it fits our needs because we can get a first round pick back. But also the cap situation is such that you can also get paid there too. And maybe they saw Indianapolis as one of those teams that that a situation was like, okay, well, he can get paid here and we have a mid first round pick that we can do something with, right? Like, I think that they broke it down to that level because like, again, what the, the comment that I said before about them having somebody in mind when they made this trade in terms of drafting them, I think that you have to take that level of detail when you're trading a guy like this. You have to look at the repercussions and, and like Pragmarate and, and John Lynch and the Niners brass, uh, they don't strike me as a team that just kind of knee-jerk reaction trades a guy um they don't strike me as that type of team they seem like a team that's very calculated on what they do and i think that this was basically something that was cal- predetermined ahead of time obviously as we know now but this was a calculated risk uh, that they took based off of the vibes that they were getting from DeForest buckner's camp and 
I don't know if it was irreconcilable differences or anything like that. We didn't hear of any rift or anything like that. We didn't hear he was happy by all accounts. Like he was not unhappy here, but I just think that when it came down to it, they determined to keep the championship window open that they would not be able to pay him. And they saw the other free agents on the team, namely Eric Armstead. And they said that, Hey, we can probably pay Armstead this much and try to keep more of a core intact. Whereas Buckner, you pay him extra, but you also basically are completely out on Armstead, Emmanuel Sanders and Jimmy Ward. And I think that, I mean, to, to me, the most interesting part of this is that, do you think that they're doing all of this to be able to keep Emmanuel Sanders because they gave that draft capital no. up for him last year? Do you think that he is the guy that they're trying to keep? No, I think they have a very low dollar amount they're willing to pay for him. Mm-hmm. And they don't, if he ends up not getting anywhere close to coming back, great. They'll save that amount until they know for sure. But I don't think it's anywhere close to what Emmanuel Sanders will get. I think Emmanuel Sanders will get nine, ten, maybe even as much as eleven million per. And mm-hmm. the Niners are probably saying, "Hey, we would be, we'd love to bring you back on a two-year, twelve million dollar deal." Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Niners can't afford to attach that amount to an aging, aging wide receiver. Which, as athletic as Emmanuel Sanders seems at this point, wide receivers can fall off a cliff when they get up there in age. And Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders is somebody that's so good because he has so much foot quickness, if you want to say that. He's so good in and out of his cuts because his foot quickness is amazing. The moment he loses that, there's not a whole lot else there. He's not a big guy. He he doesn't have really a go-to without that uh, quickness. Mm-hmm. So I think he's not really an option. It's just It's just so fascinating to me. I think that with the way that this all went down, there's probably so many layers to this that we're not seeing. Um, again, because you don't just trade uh, a guy like that for for nothing. And as we know, DeAndre Hopkins, which is the the, the big trade of the day, um, he, it's hard to think that something trumps the the, the DeForest Buckner trade for a first rounder. But DeAndre Hopkins, he he was unhappy with Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien's an idiot and he doesn't know how to coach a football team nor run a football team. So I can see why DeAndre Hopkins was unhappy, and and now he goes into an offense with Cliff Kingsbury and. Kyler Murray and Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk and an aging Larry Fitzgerald and Kenyon Drake. And all of a sudden they become a problem. So that's, that may be another reason why Kyle's like, look, we have to be able to have the horses to keep up with these guys. Uh, you've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle. You've got the, the Rams, which McVay, and now you've got Arizona, right? So I don't know if, if Kyle feels the, the need to keep up, but I, I, I'm more so inclined to say that he just feels the need to say that, Hey, I need to have a superstar receiver on my offense. So I'm, I'm going to do this with how quick this went because the team wasn't, you know, Indianapolis couldn't have negotiated with Defoe prior to now, maybe the Niners shared some, Hey, this is what he's wanting uh, to skirt the rules there. You know, mm-hmm. NFL teams breaking the rules in that regard isn't necessarily <laughs> an uncommon thing, mm-hmm. but as fast as it went, and the fact that it came out, the Niners have been quietly shopping him since January. That, to me, uh, certainly makes it seem like the teams had kind of had this gentleman's agreement that, hey, if we decide to go this route of trading Buckner, we'll take your 13th pick for it. Great. And the Niners might have spent the last month or two scouting, knowing they're likely to have this number 13 pick, thinking that hey, if we find enough guys that we love at number 13, we're making this trade. And maybe that's mm-hmm. what happened. Don't really know. It certainly would seem more logical in that sense with as fast as everything went, but who knows? All I know is the Niners offseason went from it's going to be a boring one. This is a weird situation as we were talking about in a previous podcast. It's a weird situation. The Niners are really good. They have no holes. They have no draft capital. What do we do here? To mm-hmm. Now they have draft capital. Capital. I think they're one of five teams with two two picks in the first round. Yep. And they made two of the biggest moves in the first hours of the new league year. It it it's still kind of sinking in. It's <laughs> it's just a weird day at a really weird time in the world right now. <laughs> it is. It is. And uh as we as we step away from football talk for a second, um yeah, I, I just do. We get news every single day of of new infections and more countries putting restrictions on things like that and travel travel restrictions that people have. But 
Um, this is a time where, you know, I was at the, the store today, just grabbing a few final things. Um, you know, having a, a one-year-old, it's, it's very difficult in a time like this because you want to be able to, to be okay and, and take care of them and have everything. But I'm seeing people hoard stuff and, and leave with like, you know, like pallets of, of toilet paper and, uh, 20 hand sanitizer bottles and things like that. It's like, look, you know, this is one of those times where everybody really needs to take a step back and be like, look, I don't need to be hoarding the entire antibacterial section at, at CVS. Um, there are a lot of people out there that could be needing this, that could be using this um, families, elderly, whoever it is like that could be needing this stuff. Right. And I think that's, it's, it's important to remain responsible as well. And this is a human aspect of this too. And then we're all fun and games, right? We talk about football. It's cool. It's fun. It's just for fun. Right. But when it, when it comes down to it, like Levin, like you and I were talking about it off air, like, you know, I'm, I'm in California. I'm, we're quarantined. We can't go anywhere because it's shelter in place. And it probably will be the same in, in Pennsylvania for you at some point. So I think that everybody just needs to remember that, that, that look, we're all, you know, human here. We all are trying to, trying to uh, make the best out of a really tough, scary situation. And I think that it's important to show compassion whenever we can. Um, a little bit of compassion can go a long way, especially in a time like this. Um, Got nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just it's just me. I, I love going to these these uh, uh, diatribes after at the end of podcasts. I'm feeling extra philosophical, but anyways. Um, so a lot to a lot to look forward to, man. We're just getting started. This is the best part of it is that the draft is coming up, and I was like, you know, I was kind of down on the draft. I was like, well, they're gonna have to trade down. We won't see them pick in the first day of the draft, and we'll have to wait till the next day, and it's just the longest wait. But now they've got that pick at 13 and they can get an impact player. They get somebody who's, who's a really a franchise type player that Jimmy can throw to or a tackle or any number of ways that they can go. Like somebody said today to me that, well, you know, like it, it won't matter because they won't be able to sign Jimmy Ward and Emmanuel Sanders and they'll walk. I'm like, well, you could go wide receiver free safety with your first, first round picks if you want to. And the truth is that we don't know what's going to happen. I don't think that they're done wheeling and dealing. I think that there's more to come. But we just don't know what's going to happen, and it's again the 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 disappointment from the Super Bowl loss is kind of gone now, and now it's just excitement for the next season. So I'm super super uh, looking forward to that now. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll have a we'll have either one or two pods prior to the draft, especially now that the draft, like you said, is more in focus. I think we should probably say, in terms of an actual schedule, that it kind of got thrown up in the air. I don't mm-hmm. think we know exactly when we're gonna record next because who knows what the schedule for the NFL is going to be, whether they're going to push it, whether they're going to keep it the same, what kind of info actually comes out. Because if teams aren't allowed to have visits with players, there's going to be almost no leaking news of, Hey, this team's bringing this guy in for a visit. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to know who's truly interested in who, unless it leaks and the Niners don't leak anything. So when we have our next pod, we can't say exactly, but we'll certainly be having a draft preview now. I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So there we go. So uh, with that for 11 black and baby daddy, Rob stats, Guerrera, congratulations <laughs> again to the whole stats family. I am Zane Nackby. This has been another episode of the 49ers web zone. No huddle podcast. Take care. <laughs>